Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. It's all about you. It's all about you. What else is there besides his presence? Mm, Thank you, Lord. God, we just worship you. God, let me put all flesh aside right now. All production, performance. It's all meaningless unless you're in it. God, we drop any mask in here of pretending to be something we're not so that you might accept us. Because that's Satan's lie. That we've got to perform to be accepted. that we gotta measure up in some measurement that we've created in our own mind. (laughs) That you are the measure. And that you are the standard. So help us to mature in you. God, take this word. Let it open our eyes, let it empower us to step into the destiny. you would have for us to walk in. And God, expose the lies of the enemy, <laughs> the nameless, forgotten one, <laughs> who's already defeated. And God, we put him under our feet where Jesus has put him. And we give him no power. <laughs> we give him no authority and no place in our life to have a foothold and rule. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so we're going to start a new series, and and I titled it uh, The Anatomy of an Adversary. Isn't that a killer picture? Um, Satan is not an alligator, uh, but uh, the Lord spoke to me. I was actually at the alligator farm. 
And I took a picture of this, and it was an alligator dissected to show the parts. And it was like the Lord put on my heart, you need to expose Satan and expose him and split him open and show his motives to the church. And so a picture, and then Kenzie got a hold of that picture and somehow made that beautiful thing. And wow, that was, that's just tremendous. So we're going to expose Satan. And here's the thing is, he don't like being exposed. Satan is a nameless entity. Is that he doesn't even have a name. Okay? That Satan in the Hebrew, or the Satan, the Hasatan, is a title. And what that title means is, it means adversary or slanderer. So Satan isn't even a proper name. The devil isn't even a proper name. This is a title of his job description. So the reason why that is important is you need to know something about him. Is that there is nothing in him that can give you any kind of identity. Because he has no identity even in himself. And anything outside of God, including ourselves, can't find its identity. Because only God can actually give identity and give purpose and give meaning and give these things that we're all craving for and longing for in our life. So Satan is this anti-everything being, okay? Satan is, doesn't have a goal. He doesn't really even have a plan. Do you know what Satan wants to have happen? Satan just wants everything to burn and everyone to burn and everything to just completely implode upon itself and destroy itself. That he's anti-everything. And so when God is originally uh, creating the universe and we find that in Genesis, it says that the world is empty and void, right? Chaos. So when God shows up on the scene... He immediately comes to chaos and begins to put order into it. Now, this would have meant, this was a special kind of literature. Genesis 1 through 11 is a special kind of Babylonian tale. And there was lots of these creation narratives that were floating around. And a lot of them, uh, the gods were, were bored of doing all the work. So he said, we're tired of doing all the work. Let's create a slaves, slaves so we can tell what to do that we can be over and they can credit. That's how every one of these Babylonian epics, uh, the Enuma Elish and, and different ones, that's how, they were, that's how they were formed. So the author of Genesis, Moses, takes that genre of literature and then puts it in a package where we could understand it and he uses that genre to write the story, Okay. So the gods of the other nations were trying to create slaves that they can control. The God of our narrative, the Holy Scriptures, is writing a narrative because he just wants people to share himself with. And he gives the people the authority to rule. Come on, this is good stuff here. It's good. I don't care if you're getting blessed. I'm getting blessed in this thing because I'm ready to rule. I don't know about you. So he visits the chaos, and the chaos is, in the Hebrew, void, formless and void, tohu vavohu. And it's a play on words. 
And what it was, the picture is, is very desert, dry, nothing can live. And then a, a tempest ocean that is out of control. Now, where is Israel located? Right smack in the dab between a desert where nothing can live and a Mediterranean sea that is out of control. Do you see the narrative? That God would come into the middle and say, I'm going to put something special right smack dab in the middle of chaos. And that thing is going to be ruled by a man and that man is going to take it and that he's going to rule and multiply and this garden is going to overtake the whole earth. Now, where does Adam come from? Oh, the dirt man gets to rule. So he pulls man from the clay Adam, and he makes a human. Now, when he creates before in creation, he's bara, uh, let there be, let there be, let there be. He's speaking. When it comes to you and I, fingerprints, <laughs> unique, special. And then he breathes in it. So he takes dirt, man, <laughs> and he makes him glorious. So again, something about the nature of God. He takes dirty things and makes them glorious. And so Satan, the Hasatan, he doesn't have a name. He's nameless. Doesn't have a per doesn't have anything. He's anti-everything. He comes in and says, wait a minute. I've got all the beauty. Why does the dirt man get all the power? And this is the heart of the satanic nature in the earth. I don't care what God says. I'll define my own way and my own way to go. And I'll define what's beautiful and what's not. And I'll define what is good and what is not. And it's that rebellious attitude that would actually be jealous of dirt man and say, I've got the beauty. Why does he get all the power? So Satan inserts himself into the narrative to deceive Eve and Adam so that he could pull them back to tohu vavohu Formless and void chaos. How many of you, when you followed the devil, was your life so orderly and perfect and wonderful? It was formless and void. <laughs> it was without shape and empty. Because that's all he can do. So how does he get us on the journey? He lies to us. <laughs> and he tries to get us to partner with a lie. And if he can get us to partner with a lie, he can slowly pull our lives 
back to formless, void, tohu vavohu, chaos, anti-creation, anti-everything. That this is his M.O. You know, I grew up with friends that said, oh, when I go to hell, I'm going to have a party. I'll be chief. The devil ain't even chief in hell. He can't build anything. He can't create anything. The only thing Satan can create, you ready for this? Is a lie. There was no lies until Satan created one. You want to know what he's creative about? He's a creative liar. And the father of. So if you're living in a lie, whose father are you? Who's your father? Yeah. And so Jesus comes to this encounter, right? With the Pharisees. Well, by God, we're the children of Abraham. Um, no, he can make children of Abraham out of these stones. That's no, no big deal. He says, no, your father's Satan. Why? Because you're super evil? No. Because you're partnering with a lie. And that's the only father thing he's ever fathered is a lie. So that's his tactic. Now, is a lie powerful? It depends. A lie is an untruth, right? A lie is about as powerful as people that believe Bigfoot exists. If I partner with that, I'll go looking through the woods for Bigfoot. (laughs) Right? So the only power it has is the power I give it. Make sense? So when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, it wasn't that they just disobeyed God. It was that they obeyed Satan. And that what I obey becomes my God. So Satan's heart is that he's jealous of you. And what is a jealous spirit? Murderous. Yeah. So he's... A jealous liar. And he's jealous of you. And so his best technique that he can use is a lie. And he's pretty good at it. (laughs) And so he wants to get in your ear and lie to you. And the only way that lie gets any power is when you start believing it. That my faith in God pleases God and empowers me to walk in a life with him. My faith in the lie empowers Satan and allows me to walk in the flesh and into the chaos. That Satan is anti-everything. And he wants to watch your life and my life and he wants to burn it to the ground. And he's so hard-hearted, he'll burn himself to the ground at the same time. It's why Satan, you ever heard the voice of the enemy in your ear? 
oh, you need to do this. It's going to feel good. It's going to give you gratification. You're gonna, man, you need. And then you do it. How do you feel after that? The worst. the worst, right? And then what does he do on the other side? I cannot believe you did that. He doesn't cheer you. He doesn't say, wow, you did what I said. You're my son. He goes, oh, my goodness. Look how terrible you are. So he takes the temptation and he works it that way. And then he uses the guilt that comes from sin and works that guilt back into you so that you'll never know who you actually are in him. That our fear and insecurity is the only thing that puts flesh on Satan. I have a friend that is, uh, he ministers to people in the occult that are coming out of the occult. And there was a young lady who was born into a Satan something, Satan worshiping something. And it's a dear friend of mine. And this person was born out of a satanic sacrifice and sacrifices were done over her. She was abused. And later in her life, in like her later 20s, she came to Jesus and had all this. But it wasn't, you know, how many you know you get saved? You're not out of the weeds, by the way, right? It takes, takes time to walk through some of this stuff. And so she's trying to deal with all this trauma. And so, man, she was just being tormented. And so they were working through some of these issues and doing some deliverance. And she started seeing what she felt like was Satan. And she just got terrified and just and said, what do you see? I said, Satan, is like, where is he? Well, we don't see him, but he's not here. No, he's here. And he's, he's huge and he's big. And so they just started speaking the promises of God and truth over the lies. Because that's how you combat a lie. It's truth. It's the only thing you got, really. Truth believed undoes a lie. And so he keeps preaching truth and then finally says, receive the, and, and she finally started receiving the truth. And when she received the truth, he said, now, how big is he? And she was like, oh, he's like this big now. And she saw Jesus come in in the spirit and just do like that. But fear puts flesh on Satan. And that's what the Lord is aimed at. That's why perfect love drives out all fear, right? It's like we think hate is the thing that perfect love should be driving out. But no, the root of everything is a fear and an insecurity that I'm carrying around. And that if I believe those fears and those insecurities, those lies, then I empower Satan to have control over my life. And so the thing that Jesus is aimed at is to get a shovel and dig all the dirt of what we've believed about ourselves and the sins from our bad choices to dig all that out to get us back to our original identity and purpose. That Jesus isn't trying to dig in your dirt to expose your dirt. He's getting in your dirt so that you could see the gold that God's put down on the inside of you. 
And when you won't let them in your dirt, and when you won't let godly people in your dirt, you're just going to continue to partner with the lie. And guess what kind of life you're going to live? A dirty life. That you're only as sick as your secrets, man. And that God would be digging, not for your shame, but aimed at the glorious thing that he put on the inside of you. To get us back to Adam. To get us back to the identity. So when Satan gets judged by God, where does he have to go? He's got to crawl on the dust. (laughs) Where did man come from? So God would say, I'm trying to pull you up from that. But when you partner with the lie, you put yourself back under the belly of the beast. And he crawls all over your life like he's something special and slithers all over you. And God's saying, I'm trying to pull you from those earthly origins and do something so divine and glorious if you'll let me do it. Yeah. So this is Satan's kind of MO. He's a nameless nobody who is a slanderer and an adversary. And he is jealous of the relationship that you have with God. (laughs) That he is the original hater. Yeah. I think we can say that in church. Hater, I think so. So he wants to pull us and and to change our worldview and our grid of how we see everything. Because the tree that God said to stay away from was the knowledge of what? Good and evil, right? So it wasn't just evil. That's the way we kind of see that part of it. But it was also good. So if I ate of that tree, I would then be saying, I don't need God and life in a relationship with him In order to determine the course of my life, I can make my own choices and choose what is good and what is evil. Now, the problem with the good and evil framework is that it's flexible. Because how many of you know the prophets saw this a long time ago? When good could be called evil and evil can be called So when I walk into a good and evil paradigm, I'll eventually fudge bad and I'll inch it into not so bad and then I'll inch it into not not so bad and then before you know it, it's in a good category and the world's celebrating something that God calls sin. Good and evil paradigm. Because here's what I find out in the good and evil paradigm. I either think that I'm all good and I don't need any help. Or I think I'm all evil and I'm beyond help. Yeah. 
So Adam chooses to take the good from the life, but rejects the life of the good. In other words, God, just give me the knowledge. Leave me alone. I can figure this thing out. When God is trying to get us to take of the tree of life that says, man, I just want a relationship with you, God. And if I have that, all that other stuff works out. Because how many of you know we'll rationalize anything? Yeah. We'll make anything a good idea. Just let us think on it long enough. <laughs> right? So God's worldview, his paradigm that he wants his people looking through is life and death. What the world wants to pull us into is what is good and what is evil. And if they pull you into that fight, you'll never win. So the way I look at it is, does it bring death or does it bring life? If it brings life, God's in it. If it brings death, no good. And so Satan wants to pull us into those realities of, of seeing everything and us being our own judge, and we can decide what is good and what is evil, and we can rule ourselves. We can rule our own lives. We don't need any authority over us. We don't need anything. We got this. We're just going to do our own thing. And it sounds good. It feels good. It even looks good. But it sure doesn't end up very good. It winds us being the very thing that pulls us right back into chaos. I feel like I gotta say this. Just because it feels good, it does not make it good. And some of you are dabbling with things based on the inadequacies and the lies and insecurities that you believed, and something makes you feel good and it covers that little, that little thing up for a while and then you go headlong into it and you leave the very place God has for you to get you well, healed, delivered, filled, and set on fire for him. And it's become the pattern of your life. And Satan's whispering in your ear right now saying, oh, it'll be different this time. Oh, yeah, you got it this time, big boy. Now something that was off the table has now become not so bad. And if you keep partnering with that voice, it's good. No, it's death. It's death. And you got to walk in life because that's what God wants for you. He's got his best in mind for you. So he is aimed at your identity. So Jesus' ministry, before his ministry even starts, is aimed at restoring the identity that Satan covered up with a lie. Okay? So Jesus' ministry started when he's baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. So here is Jesus being baptized now, get this picture here. John the Baptist was a wild man out in the desert, right? But he was drawing crowds, and not just people that were for him, pe people that just wanted to watch the show, right? Like spectators. And he's baptizing people, and then Jesus comes up. So, so Jesus is standing 
in the muddy Jordan, okay, with a man wearing camel skin and eating, uh, who eats bugs. Let's put it in perspective. And saying, no, I need you to dunk me in the water. Well, I can't do that. Look at me. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You got to do this. Now, Jesus has never preached a sermon, never done a miracle, hasn't done one thing. And the sky opens up, God finally talks, and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Mind you, Jesus hasn't done one thing. So it's from the place of identity, of sonship and daughtership, that Jesus starts his ministry. What's God saying? Here's a human that I'm pleased with. Get yourself in this guy. <laughs> now what's the first thing that happens to Jesus after baptism? The Spirit leads him to where? Oh, don't you hate when the Spirit leads you there? <laughs> leads him to the wilderness. And what is the challenge from Satan? If you're the Son of God, perform for me. This is whoa, whoa, whoa. Adversary, slanderer. I get my identity from him, and I don't have anything to prove to you that makes me anything that my father hasn't already told me of who I am. Make sense? So Jesus is restoring, becomes human, cocoons himself in human flesh to be our pattern so that identity is restored. Who am I? Son of God. Why? Because I know my dad. Every son or daughter has a father, right? So he's reuniting us into that beautiful reality. That's why Romans says this. We've been buried with him, Romans 6, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. And by the glory of the father, we're raised to a newness of life. What, you know what happened? You know how serious burial was back in the Old Testament? It was so serious that you had to be buried with your family. Like the patriarchs would spend crazy amounts of money to have a place where all their family could be buried together. So Jesus is buried before he's dead. Why? Because he's creating a place where his whole family could go down. And come back up. I don't know anybody else that's talking like this. Okay, guys? I'm just telling you. We're into something special here. And the Holy Ghost is doing some things. And you need to get a hold of it. And you need to get out of churchiosity and get into Jesus and, and really grab a hold of this. This isn't me performing or, hey, well, great job, great privilege. No, this is you to get a hold of this and to change the way you live your life. Yes. So Jesus is 
creating a place where his family can be buried before they're dead. (laughs) Jesus says you don't have to be buried to be raised. You don't have to be dead to experience glory. You can be dunked in the water right now, come up and be raised to a glorious life. That Jesus isn't waiting for death. He's saying right now is the acceptable day of the Lord and you can walk in this right now. And we look at baptism as like this kind of sign of like, we've been washed. No, that's death. (laughs) What's dead? The lie that we partnered with, that we weren't sons and daughters of the Most High God. The old ego that we created because of our insecurities and fears, which kept us from seeking God because we were afraid what other people would say. Which led us to buy into the lie and to posture ourselves like everything's okay. And pretend that that's the real us. And so God's got to pay out wages for sin so that we'll bump our head enough to say, I don't like this very much. Can I have the gift of God, which is eternal life? This is the lie that Jesus is trying to wash off of us. That you're not good enough, that you're stupid, that you're dumb, that you're not going to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. You're never going to have anybody. You're never going to do this. You're going to be alone forever. You're going to be, and we buy into it. And so we change our whole life living under the voice of this guilt and shame Satan, slanderer, let me know how bad I am all the time. And when we live our life under that, we end up going right into chaos, formless, void, anti-creation story. And when God is calling us into a story that is creative and wants to build and wants to do, and wants to father, and wants to nurture, and wants to promote. (laughs) That that's what Jesus is up to. That Jesus' ministry isn't just there so that you can be his cheerleader. Jesus doesn't want cheerleaders. He's not that insecure. (laughs) You ever met somebody who always needed a cheerleader? It's like, bro, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. (laughs) Why am I cheering you for doing the right thing? (sighs) Okay. So Jesus is the pattern, and this is what he's always calling us into. So Jesus is baptized, and we're baptized. So why is Jesus baptized? Because he's a sinner and he needs his old life to die? No. But he's perfecting the baptism waters so that when we go in, they're actually effective. Why is Jesus going to the wilderness so we won't have to? No, because he becomes our model of how to stand firm with what he said, regardless of what Satan would try to pull us back into. 
That's why when Jesus is like, they're following Jesus, like, and they're cheering him on. It probably was really great to follow Jesus like that. Like, I mean, I would have probably been the same way. Like, yeah, go do it, Jesus. Like, go in there. Go for it. And they're cheering him on. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a second here. You guys know I'm not going to be around forever, right? Yeah, no, no, I'm going to send an advocate. I'm going to send Holy Spirit. And then he's going to be in you, and then you're going to walk my life out. Whoa, 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 Jesus. I don't like that idea. And Jesus is saying, I'm not doing all this so that you can watch and cheer me. I'm doing this so that you could see the pattern. And when you're endued with power from the Holy Spirit, you could walk the same way I walk in the earth. Why? Because Jesus is saying, I'm not the only son. I'm the first fruits of the big thing God wants to do. <laughs> so much so that they get to bragging on him and he goes, me? Huh. Greater works you're going to do. Greater things you're going to do, guys. That I'm your model. I'm the prototype of what you're going to become. Not the thing that you feel is unachievable. But I'm the standard that you're to pursue with all your heart, with all your life, with all that's within you. And you're to set your face towards him until you start looking like him. And then a couple years pass and you get a little history with God. And you look back and you go, whoa, God did a lot of stuff. Then you look back after 10 years and you say, I'm not even the same person anymore. And then you look back after 20 and you're just like, look what God did right under my nose. <laughs> All because I just followed Jesus. <laughs> And I started letting him undo the lies that I've partnered with and that I've believed that were just not true. So let's look at Psalm 8, and, uh, and then we'll close. Psalm 8 is kind of the, this psalm of David that kind of shows what we were talking about of how Satan is jealous of the authority and dominion that God gave to man and that's what fuels his anger and his jealousy. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your reputation throughout the earth. You reveal your majesty in the heavens above. From the mouths of children... And nursing babies, you have ordained praise on account of your adversaries, so that you might put an end to the vindictive enemy. 
When I look up at the heavens which your fingers made and see the moon and stars which you set in place, of what importance is the human race that you should notice them? Of what importance is mankind that you should pay attention to them? You've made them a little less than the heavenly beings. You have crowned mankind with honor and majesty, and you appoint them to rule over your creation. You see the key there? He made them lower than the heavenly beings, but give them more power. <laughs> that angels are messengers. That angels are assigned to work for us. That Paul addresses the church in Corinth that is suing each other and saying, would you guys get it together and quit suing each other's church members and work out your disputes and show the world you know how to reconcile? And Paul doesn't lower the bar. He raises it and he says, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? But see, what Satan wants to do is pull us back into the dirt realm. And here's the thing about pigs. Pigs love to wrestle in the dirt. They like it. But God's calling us out of that, not into it. So here the bar is raised that you've appointed them to rule over your creation. You have placed everything under their authority including all the sheep and cattle as well as the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and everything that moves through the currents of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your reputation throughout the earth. What is God showing us? He's showing something about his reputation, that it's the humble that rule, not the most powerful or beautiful. It's why when Jesus is getting, is having a meal with his disciples in John. And the Bible says that he knew from whence he came. And when he remembered from where he came from, he stands up, takes the position of a slave, and starts washing feet. He's saying that God is always headed downward. Because when you're headed downward, that's the place where God exalts. We're always headed to humility. And it seems counterproductive, right? Because we want to play the manipulation power game. And some people do that. Some people throw a fit. They, when they don't get their way, they stay at home and don't come and whine around. And Jesus is like, what is this all about? <laughs> is it about me? Or is it about you? But Jesus is always headed down. And the disciples are always trying to figure out 
hey, can we sit at you and your with you at the by you on your throne when you're rolling? And he says, I don't know. Can you drink from the same cup that I'm going to drink from? And then he answers it for him. Don't you like that? Oh, yeah, you will drink from the same drink, and you will have the same baptism that I've got. <laughs> Let me answer that for you. Any bit of pride, any bit of affirmation that you're getting from performance, put that to the side. You already are sons and daughters of the Most High God if you're in him. Quit trying to be something you already are. You already are. So from that place, do the good works of the Father. And when we operate from that kind of security, we can actually celebrate others instead of being insecure when they do a better job. I said, okay. Stirring up some devils in here tonight. I'm tired of you being lied to and walking in it. When you drop that insecurity and the fear and you start realizing you do have what it takes and you are enough and you are a son and daughter of the Most High God and sometimes, hey, whenever fear slips in and I start getting scared, I just hand my identity back over to Satan. So I have to guard it. I think that's what the proverb was saying, that I've got to guard my heart, for out of it flows. The issue's a lie. So I've got to guard that thing. So whenever I slip into fear and getting in my head and, oh, man, what's going to happen? Is this going to work? Oh, my gosh, how, how, how am I going to be able to top that? That was uh, this. How am I going to be able to, how am I, ah, ah, ah. saying, wait a second. I'm a son. And that means I got a father. And that means I got an advocate. I've got protection. I've got provision. And he's got it all worked out. So I step back into my identity. And I don't let fear rule me. Some days I got to do it every single day. And sometimes a week at a time. Depends on the season I'm in. So depending on the season you're in, you might have to tell yourself a hundred times, don't matter how you feel or what you think, what God says is what's true. And you've got to renew your mind in the word of God so that your default is not the flesh or the world. Your default is what does the word of God say about that? <laughs> I was at a table one time. And uh, this guy, Al Gore, put out this documentary that basically the world's going to, like, blow up and burn up or something like that. And I was at a Kiwanis meeting, you know, a glorious Kiwanis meeting. And uh, there was an old judge there. He might have passed. He was in his 90s. And this guy was all worked up. Boy, did you see that Al Gore documentary? Man, we're in trouble. This, uh, man, I tell you, that's enough to make you lose sleep at night. And old judge, he just stood up and said, <laughs> what does the word of God say? That old boy shut up and went back to the cottage cheese or whatever. <laughs> I said, man, that needs to be our default. 
He didn't care what the facts said. What's the truth? What's the report of the Lord? I want to tell you, it's not that things are going to get really bad. It's that he's raising up a glorious bride without spot and without wrinkle and without blemish. And if she'll step into that identity, turn this thing around, man. But the ball's in your court. Who's going to be your father? A lie? Or the one true God of the universe who loves you, died for you, and is not even willing to withhold his son from you? I'm going with him. <laughs> and I hope you'll go too. Lord, we thank you, God, that you're a good, good father. That's who you are. God, there's times I've got to try to be a good father because I'm learning. But there's never a moment you're trying to be. You just are. And you're teaching me to be. So God, I just humble myself. A man formed from the dirt. But you breathe in dirt. (laughs) And you play in the dirt. So you're here with me. Forming and shaping and molding me. That Jesus is the first son of many. And when he was planted into the ground, he popped up. So that we would pop up and look just like him. So God, conform us to the image of your son. God, we unpartner with the lie that we're not enough. Let me head about every eye closed. If you just say, I'm going to raise your hand. You've been dealing with that you're not enough and you've been settling in your life. That's you. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. Right now, we unpartner with the lie that we're not enough, that we're so valuable, God shed and paid for us with His Son's own blood. So we don't get our value from what we think about ourselves or what we've done, we get our value to see what was paid for us. And that was God's blood. How many of you would say, I've had lies that my life is over and there's nothing else for me to accomplish and I'm just going to ride off into the sunset and do nothing. And you've been telling yourself that. You've been content, trying to figure out how to be content that your life has no purpose. Just put your hand up right where you're at. Amen. 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 Hmm. I want to say this. Just because it's chaotic and tough doesn't mean there's not good stuff in it. (laughs) Matter of fact, that's where the biggest treasure usually is, is in the most convoluted, chaotic mess. So God, everybody that confessed that, we unpartner with that lie and say the mission is still going forward. 
God, you're not on plan B. You're in plan A. And we've not been disqualified. Our failure was actually our qualification because it got us to quit looking at ourselves and it put us back looking at you. So we renounce that lie over our life. And we receive the good things that you have for us ahead. How many of you have partnered, you'd say, you'd be brave, say, I've partnered with the lie of despair. And I feel like I've lost all hope. Yeah. God, we renounce the lie of despair because if we're drawing breath, there's hope. And we come out of agreement with that lie and we agree that God you are the God of hope and you're sustaining our life and keeping us alive partnered with the lie you would say I believe the lie that I can never change and I'm always going to be like this amen amen God right now we renounce that lie that we can't change and we release ourselves from the power of that lie that we've given it that we can change that you are changing us, that you will change us, and that our destiny isn't locked into the stars in some horoscope, it's locked into the heart of Jesus. And we go deep into the heart of Jesus, and we'll go as deep as it takes to find our life. God, teach us to hope again, to dream again, to believe again, Father, to do the works of the Father, where the world would see our good works and give you all the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Love you. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.